0: Today's scripture reading will be coming from Matthew, chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. And in your pew Bibles, that can be found on page 863. Again, page 863. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the, went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when Eden came, he was, uh, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now, in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was uh, boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, we welcome you. It encourages us by you being here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, What a wonderful blessing it is to be able to have a period of worship, and we want to encourage you to uh, stay for a Bible class that will follow this morning worship service. We have classes for all ages, and we would love for every one of us to be a part of that. We consider our time of Bible study one of the highest priorities of the week. And so make sure that you're a part of a Bible class. If you're visiting with us and don't know where one is, the person sitting around you is probably on their way to a Bible class and they'd be glad to show you where yours is. So be sure and ask. Faith. How do you illustrate it? I've heard and used this story many times. I know at least once I've used it here. But I'd like to use it again because to me, it illustrates the challenge of faith. The guy was walking along the edge of a cliff. He slipped. He fell. About halfway down, there was a tree coming out, and he grasped that limb. He looked up, and he realized it was far too steep for him to climb up. He looked down, and it was still another 40 or 50 feet to the fall. He didn't know what to do. He began to yell, Help! Help! Is anybody out there? And he heard a voice, Yes. Who is it? I'm God. Oh, God! Please save me. Do what I say. I will, Lord. What do you want me to do? Turn loose of the limb. The man looks down. He looks back up. Is there anybody else up there? Now, how many of us do that? How many of us think, Lord, I'd follow you anywhere as long as I can see it. Lord, I'm glad to do exactly what you say as long as I can see That it makes sense to me. But Lord, when you ask me to do something, I can't understand. When you ask me to do something, I can't see how it's going to work out. Lord, I have to tell you, I'm not going to do that. That's not faith. This morning, I really need to stop and ask myself, "Am, am I faithful? You see, it isn't faith until it's tested. And once our faith has been tested, then we find out really to what degree we have faith. Think with me for just a moment. When you think about Noah, what if you'd went up to him as a young man and say, Noah, do you believe in God? I would think that Noah would have said, oh yes, I believe in God. But what if you'd went up to him as an older man, a man that... He took God at His word whenever He said, I want you to build an ark. And He gathered His family. He worked on that ark for a hundred years. He took God at His word when He said, I want you to gather animals and I want you to enter that ark. He took God at His word whenever He saw His family saved and the rest of the world lost. And you go up to Noah as an older man and you say, Noah, do you believe in God? Can you imagine him saying, Absolutely, I believe in God. Can you imagine going up to Abraham as a young man? Do you believe in God? Well, yes. Now, my father is heavy in idolatrous ways and worship. uh, But yes, I, I do believe in God. Well, go up to him as an older man. Go up to him after he has packed up his family and he's left because God asked him and did not even tell him the land that he was going. Promise him a son and he believed it even when he was 100 years old before that son was born. After he offers his son upon an altar, now go up and ask him, Do you believe in God? Can you imagine him saying, Absolutely. No doubt about it. I believe in God. Or Job, we just sung of it. Go up to Job as a young man, Do you believe in God? The first five verses of Job would tell us that he did. But what about after the loss of ten children, the loss of his health, and the loss of a supportive wife, and the loss of all his possessions, and the loss of a supportive friendships? Go up to him after all of that. And in Job the 19th chapter, ask him, Job, do you believe in God? And you know what he's going to say? I know my Redeemer lives. Friends, this morning... We've had Capably Red Forest a beautiful story. A story that it is a shame that too oftentimes the only thing that's concentrated on in this story is the fact that Peter sinks. It is a part of the story. We don't need to take anything away from that. But I've missed the teaching of this story if I think that's the reason that this story is recorded. You see, this story is about an event that happened in a line of events. And if you'll come back this evening, we're going to study about how this event falls into the line of events that come out of the 13th chapter into the 14th chapter. And Matthew gives us four stories, and he's showing us how different it is for these disciples than the others that he showed us pictures of. He's just showed us pictures of the people of Nazareth, of Herod, and of the 5,000 men plus women and children that have been fed. And all of them were doing it the wrong way. That is their faith. Matthew writes and says, let me show you a group that was doing it the right way. Let's study about this group. Let's see what they were doing. And let's see if we are people of faith this morning. First thing we see is that we see this is a core group of Christians that are of the Lord's disciples that were in this boat. Did you notice there in 22 and 23, 22 begins by saying immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat. Why did He say immediately? And we'll touch on this heavier tonight, but let me go ahead and mention it to you so it makes make sense this morning. When we look at John 6, it's the same account of this. And what we find out, if you just look up in the paragraph above you here in Matthew, the 14th chapter, you see that the 5,000 men plus women and children have been fed. And they're following Jesus because they enjoy the fact that He can fill their belly and they don't have to work for it. Well, they are so enthralled by the idea that this can happen that they have decided in their mind, John tells us, we're going to make Him, we're going to force Him, is what John says, to become our king. Well, Jesus knows that that's going to be tempting. Think if you were the disciples. Think if you were one of the apostles, how tempting that would be. We have, now, if you have 5,000 men, and you have their wives and their children, you see, when he took the little boy's lunch and he fed them there, he was probably feeding around ten to 15,000 people. So if you have ten to 15,000 people, they're going to force Jesus to be their king. You think about if you're one of their apostles. Whoa, that's going to make us we're going to be officers in this kingdom. That's going to be exactly what we wanted. We've been having a lot of arguments, and there are still a lot of arguments to come. Jesus, tell us, who is the greatest among us? This is falling right into their line of thinking. No wonder Jesus immediately, see how that verse begins? Immediately, Jesus made His disciples get into the boat. He had to get that group away from that. And he's going to send them into the dark night. And he's going to send them contrary to the wind. And he's going to give them a long, hard night's work trying to make it to the other side. And I wonder if you and I, since there's no walls here, we can't be a fly on the wall. What if we were a little turtle on the edge of the bank there? And we were watching all of this. I wonder how many of us would have said about the kingdom of heaven that Jesus was establishing. And friends, do you realize this is the core group of the kingdom of heaven in this boat? How many of us would have looked at that event and thought, poor kingdom of heaven, it's never going to make it. That little group of people. Look at all these things that's happened the days before. And now Jesus is having to rush them off into the night, into a contrary wind. They're never going to make it. It reminds me of how people speak of the church today. Oh, all this false doctrine going around. I just don't see how the church is ever going to make it. I feel so sorry for my children and for my grandchildren. I don't know what's ever going to become of the church. What did you hear about that church in Texas that now is adding instrumental music to their Saturday night worship service? Oh, the Lord's church is just falling to pieces. Friends, I need to learn something. Before the church was even established, there was contrary winds blowing against His followers and that never stopped God from working His plan. Friends, there will always be a group of disciples in the boat that will stay there. All you and I have to do is decide if we're going to be in that boat. You better believe there's going to be contrary winds blowing through in this generation, and there'll be contrary winds blowing through in the next generation. The question for me is why be a part of the core group of disciples that have given their life wholly to the Lord? Note this as we look at this very same verse and consider some things about Peter and the others that were in that boat. Number one, the reason they were in that boat is because they were obedient. Did you notice there in 22? He didn't say all of this, please, I want to ask you, I want to urge you. Notice again how immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Friends, it's, it's really pretty simple. Obedience cannot be overrated. Obedience is far better than excellence. I want to ask you this morning, are you striving to be an excellent Christian or are you striving to be an obedient Christian? Because if you're striving to be an excellent Christian, what you're probably going to do is compare yourself to other Christians. And you know, if you compare yourself to other Christians, you can always make yourself look good. Oh, I tell you what, I'm an excellent Christian because I sit beside somebody on Sunday morning that doesn't even come back on Sunday night. That makes me an excellent Christian. Well, I have a friend that's Christian, they don't hardly give anything, and so I give just a little bit more than hardly anything. That makes me an excellent Christian. Friends, if I want to, I can make myself an excellent Christian and not even live a Christian life. What the Lord wants to know and what defines our faith is whether or not we're going to be obedient. In 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter, Saul learned the hard way that God would rather have obedience than sacrifice. To start talking about all the things I've given up to follow the Lord, but yet still not obey him and everything that he's asked, that doesn't place me in the boat. You think how tempting it would have been for those disciples to stay back and really work the crowd. Oh, you guys, you want to make him a king? Oh, let's make him a king. That's good. And Jesus says, get in the boat. And I want you to go ahead of me to the other side. I'm not going to ride with you in this boat. I want you to go ahead of me to the other side. Now, these were experienced fishermen. Some were in that boat. Don't you know that they didn't have to get a few hundred yards out and then say, wow, do you realize the wind is blowing against us? We're going to have a difficult time. Friends, if you're an experienced fisherman, you can imagine what they were thinking. He's telling them to get in the boat and go to the other side. And as they're stepping over into the boat, they're thinking, Wow, this is going to be a long night. That wind is blowing hard in our face. We're not going to be able to catch the sail. We're going to have to row against the current that the wind is creating, the waves that's blowing. Well, are we going to do it? I'd rather stay here and talk about Jesus becoming the king on earth. They obeyed. And as they did, it brings us to a second thing. They obeyed even in times of distress. Look at verse 24 again. Notice these descriptive terms that Matthew gives us. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, and it was the fourth watch of the night. The fourth night watch of the night would have been somewhere between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. So they have rowed and they have rowed and they have rowed and they have only made it halfway across. They're only in the middle of the sea and they still are having these waves hitting them. Can you imagine? They've been up all day long and now they're working all night long. The waves are not letting up and it's between three and six in the morning. Distress. How did they get into this distress? Just obeying Jesus. Isn't that amazing? They found themselves in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, with contrary winds, because they obeyed Jesus. Friends, I need to say to myself this morning, if I believe that being obedient to Jesus means that all stressful situations are taken out of my life, I've totally misunderstood Christianity. Obeying the Lord means that I will have the Lord on my side during those stressful times. I wonder how many of us, and let's not be haughty, let's humbly think about this. How many of us at around four o'clock in the morning, after being up all day and rowing all night, how many of us would have looked over our shoulder and said, Peter, let's just put the sail up. We'll be back in 15 or 20 minutes to the other side. Let's get some rest. And in the morning, we'll go over after the wind has died down. How many of us have stepped over in the boat in obedience? And we've obeyed the Lord until we've gotten tired. Until our faith has grown weak. And we're tired of rowing. And how many of us have said, I'm just going to give it a break. I'm not quitting. I'm just going to give it a break. Friends, it isn't faith until it's tested. We can't really declare that we're faithful to God... If during the times of obedience and distress, we don't remain there. You remember when Paul spoke in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, about the thorn that he had in his flesh and he prayed three times for the Lord to remove it? And finally, by the time Paul is writing this in 2 Corinthians 12, the first 12 verses, it's revealed to him from God why God didn't remove it. He said, because if he would have removed it, he would have been exalted. He would have exalted himself above measure. In other words, he's saying, if I would not have allowed that stressful situation to stay in your life, you wouldn't remain faithful. And then he says, my grace is sufficient. I gave you the strength that you needed. My strength and your weakness is sufficient. I just wonder, now friends, this is just David Shannon wondering. I'm not trying to feed something into the Scriptures, but I wonder if Jesus would have allowed His disciples to stay among that group that night. I wonder if some of them wouldn't have gotten wrapped up more into the concept of making Jesus an earthly king and lose sight of the spiritual nature. And I wonder if they didn't find themselves in the middle of those contrary winds because Jesus was protecting them. And as long as they stayed there, even as difficult as it was, spiritually, they were going to grow. They were going to thrive. Note this third thing. Peter was venturesome. The idea of venturing out is is to take a risk. Now, he did not take an ignorant risk. He took a risk based upon going against what nature would say, but he did it because Jesus said it would be okay. Do you see there in 28, Jesus approaches them, He walks on the water to them, He leaves His time of prayer, He leaves His quiet time, He walks on the water, because of the darkness they can't imagine, you don't expect a person to walk up on water, so they wonder, is it a ghost? He puts them at ease when He says, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And notice in 28, Peter answered and said to Him, Lord, if it is You, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, now please note this phrase. The Scripture says about Peter, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Can you do that? I want you to imagine walking on the edge of a a swimming pool and you're at the deep end and you're just walking along the edge, and the very next step is going to be into the pool. Can you just step onto the pool and just start walking across the top? If not, how long does it take for you to sink? Some people say, Peter was presumptuous. That's the only reason he jumped out of that boat. He should have never done that. Now friends, we need to be real careful saying that what Jesus said was fine for him to do was sinful. That turns Jesus into a stumbling block. Jesus never sinned and He never helped anyone else sin. Friends, Peter stepping out on that water was the will of Jesus or Jesus would have said, stay in the boat. What's the message here that God is wanting us to see by this happening that night and then it's recorded for thousands of years for us to read? What is it that God wants us to see? He wants us to see someone with a spirit of faith about them that says, I believe with Jesus that I can do something that I cannot do without Jesus. Try walking on water without Jesus. Then, look at the story of Peter. And try walking on water when Jesus says, Peter, come on out and walk on water. Friends... Do I have a faith that's only limited to my side, Or do I have a faith that believes that I can be involved in things that's greater than just me? Why do you think God has brought all of us together in this time, out of all the time that's ever been and ever will be? Why has He brought this group together? And of all the places in the world, why has He brought this group together in this town? Why this eldership? Why these deacons? Why these members? Why the youth that's here and the older ones that's here and all the adults? Why? Now stay with me. And why did He place us in one of the fastest growing communities in the state of Tennessee? Where literally when we talk about mission work, we're only talking about going to our next door neighbor because every one of us has new neighbors within just a mile, if not literally next door. Someone says, I tell you what, the town we live in is growing so fast, there's no way that that we could reach them. Do what? You don't believe with God all things are possible? I know that we can't reach them. But friends, I have to decide this morning, am I sitting in the boat or am I ready to step out of the boat and say, God and us can do something far greater than just us. I don't need God if the only things I plan to involve my life in are the things that I can do alone. You show me a growing, faithful church and you'll find a church where the elders have stepped out of the boat. You show me a church that's reaching out to her community and I'll show you a church where the congregation, every member has stepped out of the boat. You show me a church that's reaching mission fields in ways that most thought could never be reached and we'll see a church that has stepped out of the boat. You show me a family that's doing more than what you would think a family could ever do, and maybe they're doing it for generations, and when we see that, we're going to see a family that stepped out of the boat. Look at an individual that you say, look, they're just a common person, but look at all the lives that they have touched, and you know what we're going to find out? That common person has stepped out of the boat with an almighty God, and that's why they're able to, to accomplish so much. Friends, Peter didn't do anything wrong when he stepped out of the boat. He was doing everything right by faith. The Scripture says, He walked on water. Now, did he fail for a moment? And isn't it wonderful that when just for a moment he took his eyes off of the Lord, for a moment he concentrated on the waves, for a moment he got to thinking, I guess, about if he were out there alone, this could never happen. And for a moment, it began to sink. But do you realize what Peter did immediately? Lord, save me. He knew immediately where to turn. And the Lord immediately, it says, stretched out His hand and saved him. I want to ask you, I'll pause for a minute and let you think about this. What have you experienced last week or maybe the last couple of weeks? Whereas that happened, or you noticed something, you saw an opportunity, or you looked at a person, or, or because of a relationship, or because of a challenge in your life, you looked at something in your life, or in someone else's life, and you thought how it could be, and then you said to yourself, oh, that could never happen. I could never. The church at Mount Juliet could never What is it that you've said lately? My family could never. I could never. What is it this past week that you said that about? That the truth is it's righteous. It's something good. I want to ask you. Did you say that because you were looking at the waves that were blowing at your feet? Or did you say that because you were looking at a Jesus while you were standing out on the water with Him? Friends, there's no way to measure the good that you and I can do for the glory of God if we're with the Lord out on the water. Notice this progression. Away from the shore, the people that followed him for the wrong reason. Obedient people out in a boat. And then one venturesome one who said, Lord, if you'll just invite me, I'll come down and walk on that water. And he did. And we close with this simple observation, 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped Him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Worship is pouring out adoration to God. What moves you to worship? One is because the Lord commands it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a fact. I want to come and worship because God has commanded me to come and worship. But have you ever noticed that there's times in our life where we not only want to do it because it's the right thing to do, but we want to do it because we want to worship God. When are the times that we want to worship God? When we've obediently stepped in that boat, and we've obediently served God even when we were so tired and so weary, and when we've been willing to step out of that boat, and we see how God can work in lives, those are the times that we can't wait to go and pour out our adoration to God. Oh, what's going to happen to the church? Great things. Great things. And who's going to be involved in it? Those who are willing to do things with God obediently, by faith, out of the boat. Where are you this morning? Let's make sure that as we leave here this morning that we're all leaving here obedient to our God. No matter what storms are blowing in our life, that we're leaving here as a person of faith. We're willing to step out when it doesn't make sense exactly. If you've never been baptized into Christ... Wouldn't this morning be a wonderful time to say, I believe in you, Lord, and I want to be obedient to you. I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to confess before men. I want to be baptized into Christ because that's what He asked me to do to receive His grace. And when I come out of that watery grave of baptism, I want to live for Him. And I want to have a faith like Noah. I want to grow a faith like Abraham. I want to grow a faith like Job. I want to know my Redeemer lives. Maybe this morning you have been faithful. But somewhere along the way, you've been unfaithful. You've allowed the contrary winds to pull you off course. It's easy to do, but it doesn't make it right. If you want to repent of that and confess that this morning, we'd love to pray together. Let's make sure that we all leave here this morning. More and less like Peter. We can help you any